This is The Culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Wave podcast. We are back to cover week two of the Montclair Film Festival, which we've been lucky enough to cover for the last two weekends and some of the days in between in Montclair, New Jersey. We last week talked about a bunch of films that we saw. We saw Dream Scenario. We saw The Holdovers. Liz saw Four Daughters. This time we're going to be covering not only some films that some of us have seen, but also a really awesome event that Zach and I got to go to on Friday night, which was the uh, Filmmaker Tribute which was happening in the NJ Pack Center in Newark, New Jersey, where Stephen Colbert interviewed the legendary Martin Scorsese. I am one of your hosts. My name is Darian Scalamoni. I am joined in this episode by Liz Seiko. Hello. As well as Zach Miller. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Oh, of course, brother. <laughs> Anything for you, brother. So let's get into it. Should we Should we go in order? Should we go in the sequence of, of events? Yeah. Why don't you got hit me with how it was? I'll hit how you with was, I'll hit you with our best shot. Hit, hit me with the best shot. How talk to me about the event? So, first of all, Montclair knows how to put on an event. Let's Ooh. say that. Um, really great evening, packed house. Okay. Uh, I looked up the um, the seating. How many people it sat? It sat. I think a little bit under three thousand people were there to see uh, Martin Scorsese. It was really great. And I loved how this was something where it didn't just cover, obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon, which our review will be up on the channel if it's not up. Our, oh, it is up, actually. So the review for Killers of the Flower Moon is up. Uh, we talked about that last week, and we saw that. But this conversation was not just solely about his most recent film, but also his full body of work, which I really loved. But also got into the nuances of like him as a person, which nice. I really, really liked because – the cool thing that I think Zach and I were talking about, and Zach, you can give your thoughts because I'm curious too, but Colbert was asking him so many questions about just life and faith and all these things. And so many times he just goes off into movies and he just speaks as if his language is cinema. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to me how he just compares everything to movies. And I was like, this guy must literally... He just watches movies. That's all he does. And um, there's a point to where... What did he ask? Oh, we asked him if he wanted to play an instrument. He goes, do you play an instrument? And he goes, no. He goes, my brother played guitar. He goes, I always kind of wanted to, but I never really picked it up. And he goes, when am I going to have time to do that? He goes, I watch movies. I read books. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's it. And then it. you direct. But like his whole life is dedicated to cinema. And I thought that was, that was really cool. Zach, that was crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy like religiously digests movies and he just, for him to recall moments in his life where he was like, I had this experience when I was six years old. Um, he did. Well, I remember he said, what was it? A double feature of Bambi and, and like Western. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was, was like a very, dark Western. It was like, like, like a lot of eroticism. Yeah. And he was, yeah. he was like, Oh, there's one for the kids and then one for the adults. If they stick around and we were like, Oh, in the forties and fifties, they just did it different back then. Oh, the yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he, but he talks about, and he recently joined letterboxd. And he actually did Huge. this whole, which is big for the cinema community, <laughs> but he basically put out a whole playlist of like companion films to all the movies he's ever made. Yeah. And he talks so much about how so much of it becomes double billing because that's what he grew up seeing. So, mm. so many times when he consumed movies as a young kid, he watched things back to back. Yeah. Like he would just sit in the movie theater for four hours. And he would just watch movies. And he said that when he was a kid. So I don't know if you knew this. I was aware of this because he's talked about it in other interviews. Um, 
but he was a he was an early asthmatic, like severe asthmatic. Oh, I, didn't know that. I think when he was like three. So yeah, like Zach was saying, I think between the ages of like six and eight, he like started just being taken in the movies because his parents didn't know what to do with him. He couldn't play sports, mm-hmm. and he was like, I couldn't be outdoors much because I was allergic to practically everything. He's like, so the cinema was like my home, that and was I was it. like, it's it's very obvious in seeing him talk about movies that they mean more to him than they probably do to other people. Mm. You know what I mean? So um, that was really great. And I thought Colbert, uh, who I like Colbert as a comedian. Uh, I think he's a good interviewer. I don't love him as a late night host, but this was a situation in which he was interviewing Scorsese. I think he did a really, a really good job. Mm -hmm. Did they take like audience questions or was it only Colbert? It was only Colbert. Okay. It was only Colbert. Yeah. Yes. So it was, it was a full conversation of him. And I, I, I'm, I was curious on how they would even, if they did Q and I, how they'd be able to maneuver it with so many people. Yeah, um, maybe like written questions. Maybe but, like pre-questions yeah. that yes, they have that were maybe like people sent in. submit. Yeah, but yeah. were they talking just to each other and then you guys were observing? Or was he kind of more like in <clears throat> like ta- did it seem like he was speaking to the audience? Or no, was it, it felt like it felt like a very intimate conversation, which I personally like. Okay. I like that vibe. Uh, but he was obviously very aware that there was a crowd there. Yeah, three thousand people. There were very general yeah. questions on his career mm-hmm. and just like all of the stuff that he was trying to encapsulate and things that people might want to know about his work and like, Oh, what was your idea for this? Or why did you make this film film? And then they, they talked a lot about De Niro's collaboration with him and how they grew up together. I didn't know that they knew each other at a young age um, when they were like 15, 16. And then eventually they come to creative paths together and they, they start making taxi driver Raging Bull, all these other things together. So that was really enlightening. And for those two, their collaboration has just been so resonant for so yeah. many people. Yeah. So. I thought I thought the interesting part of that too, because I, I knew that they had known each other from when they were younger, from growing up in the city, but I didn't know that Brian De Palma was actually the one that sort of introduced them. Oh like, yeah. Introduced yeah. them in the in a cinema sense. Like oh. so De Palma had done a couple of films that were like indie, like being submitted to festivals before he was doing all these bigger films that he winded up doing. And uh, Martin Scorsese was like sitting down with him <clears throat> and I think another filmmaker. And he was like, who was that one guy that was in that picture that you did? And he goes, Oh, um, Bobby De Niro. And Scorsese goes, that was Bobby. Like he knew who he knew De Niro was. was from the neighborhood. And so then uh, they approached each other and um, that's how we got him on for mean streets. And he was talking about how Harvey Keitel um, wanted to play De Niro's part, and De Niro wanted to play Kaitel's part when they did Mean Streets, and Scorsese was like, "No, I really think I, th- I, I think, think you'll be it. good in the parts that you're in." Um, and then he talked about his collaborations with Leo too, and it is crazy, sort of, to look back and see the role that those two, <clears throat> excuse me, the role that those two men have played in his career and vice versa. Like yeah. so many different, so many collaborations and so many different films, like different roles for all of them. That I think. Um, it's obvious that uh, it goes beyond just like, like it's not just muses anymore. It's no. like deep collaboration. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there was a really cool moment. Zach and I were talking off screen about it right before we started recording where uh, they showcased Killers of the Flower Moon at Con mm-hmm. this year. And they were staying at a hotel and they were uh, sitting like on their balcony, uh, De Niro and Scorsese, and they were drinking champagne he was like, and we were looking up at the stars, celebrating that the picture was shown. He goes, and we just said, like, 
can you believe this? <laughs> and I was like, even like 50, 60 years later since their first collaboration, the fact that they could still do that yeah. is like a really beautiful thing between the two of them. And how many filmmaker relationships like that exists nowadays with an actor? Know. You know what I mean? So so that was really cool. Um, what's something that you would want to know if if you were like somebody that could talk to Scorsese? Um, I guess one of my questions would be like, is there anything that he doesn't enjoy about like the process? Because I feel like for everybody, there's an element of your work, whether it's filmmaking or editing or even just like something not related to the arts that you kind of either get anxious about or you don't look forward to. So I'd I'd be interested to know <clears throat> if it's more like pre-production or post or even like during. I think you want to talk on it, Zach, or? Um, I was going to say, just probably speaking for him a little bit, but what he was like, <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> he said one thing in particular. Did he? I, yeah, I, I think it was, I don't know if it's the same thing that you're going to say, but I think the way that he was talking about just working with studios or trying to get budgets for things, that's okay. there's like a the business part of it. Yeah. There's the business, there's the political like mm -hmm. side. I have to pitch this movie. I just want to make this like, he's so passionate about it. Yeah. Which is what a lot of directors stick with is, you know, I'm so passionate about this. I want to do it. And he had the reputation for a lot of other projects, at least in the last 20 years, where he could have made a couple other things. And they were just like, yeah, I just don't know if it's marketable. And it's crazy that studios still put directors down with yeah. projects like that. They're like, yeah, I don't I don't see it playing to audiences. Mm -hmm. It's like he's Martin Scorsese. People will show People up. People will go see yeah, it. Exactly. I do think that uh, that was exactly the point I was going to bring up, but he he has a counterpoint to that too where he says – he basically says to Colbert, yeah, I, I, I don't love sometimes – how studios get involved and there's budgetary things that have to happen. He goes, but sometimes that could be fun. So he like, there's still an element of that that I do that he think. enjoys. He loves the whole process of it. Like it's his life. But I want to, I want to talk really quick about what you just said too. Cause there was a massive drop off week two in killers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very curious with the last few films he's made. If that is a thing anymore, which I think is sad to say, like mm -hmm. he's earned it. Like he's Martin Scorsese. He should be able to do whatever he wants, but the last two films he's made, he's had to turn to streamers. And with Killers of the Flower Moon, like, yes, it was it was basically um, put together by Paramount and then Apple's going to do the distribution. Yeah. And then Irishman was a Netflix production. The whole thing was Netflix. And it got a limited release leading up to the Oscars and things like that. But those two movies were, like, bloated in terms of runtime and very bloated in terms of budget. And not to say that they didn't require it because both films are epics and they're both beautiful. But – you're not getting a lot of return in your investment mm -mm. at that point. So how much of it is a thing where these studios are hoping for the accolades, right? Because if you're not going to get the budget, you can eat that if you're going to get the awards consideration, right? Well, yeah. The unfortunate thing is as great as Scorsese is, this was another tidbit I didn't know that Colbert dropped in the very beginning, I think, of the talk, that Scorsese is the most nominated living director now. Is he really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. He even said that too. He's like, yeah, he am goes, I? Am I? <laughs> so that was a really interesting thing. So I, I was thinking about it too. Like how many nominations does he have to have as a director? I think it has to be at least six. I know he that's won. Sick. He only won one. I feel like the second runner up is Spielberg. Well, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. How many does I think Spielberg's has he won? Yeah. For like a lot of his earlier stuff. And I think for like Schindler's List I think I was going to say Schindler's yeah. List is the one I would think and Saving Private Ryan he might have won so here I'm pulling up Scorsese too so he's only won one Oscar uh, Scorsese. Spielberg has yeah. three 
He has three. Mm-hmm. But how many of those did he win for producing? No, he won- oh, for producing? Let's yeah, because I don't think that's what they were considering. Let's see. I don't know. Because he's direct. He's won so many like other awards throughout i i would have to you'd have to look into it but yeah. for which one with spielberg yeah yeah i yeah. think i think that he probably won at least one as a producer because he produces see. a lot of his stuff and scorsese doesn't always produce his stuff like i don't think um i don't think he won the oscar yeah he didn't win the oscar for departed for uh for motion picture because it won best movie of yeah. the year but he didn't produce the movie so he won best director for schindler's list Best Picture, Schindler's List. Best Director, Saving Private Ryan. So he's won two as a director. Best Picture. Oh, no, that's a nominee. Yes. Okay. So and how many great. times has he been nominated as a director? As a director. Um, one, two. It's not as IMDb. Yeah. So this makes sense. This is actually really surprising to me. How many times do you think he's been nominated for Best Director at the Oscars? Spielberg? Scorsese. This is kind of shocking to me. Mm, four or five? Way more. Yeah, he has a couple. More? Nine. Nine. For Spielberg, yeah. too? Nine. All right, so they're tied. They're tied. So they're tied. So okay. he was nominated for Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas, uh, Gangs of New York, Aviator, The Departed, Hugo, Wolf of Wall Street, and The Irishman. And I think he's okay. going to get another one this year. I do, too. I think he'll get nominated. I don't think he'll win. Yeah, I agree. But that's crazy. So no Raging Bull, no. No, he was uh, nominated for Raging Bull. The only one oh, he was. Ever, okay. Yes, the only one he ever won for was Departed. So I'll run through them again okay. really quick. Raging Bull in '81, Last Temptation of Christ in '89, Goodfellas in '91, Gangs in New York in 2003, Aviator in 2005, The Departed was his first win on his sixth nomination in 2007, mm-hmm. Hugo in 2012, Wolf of Wall Street in 2014, Irishman in 2020. Wow, that's a remarkable. It's a good run. It yeah. is a very good. Run. And then he wasn't nominated for Taxi Driver, which and that's like some of his early stuff. But yeah, still, but still yeah. the direction in that movie I think is pretty brilliant. Oh yeah. Um, and some other ones on here that you could always make the argument for. So he's a legend, man. Like it's you can't you can't discredit. And I I love to just see that he's somebody that loves what he does. Like mm-hmm. like Zach said, there's so much passion in how he speaks about the process in general. But not only his films. Like film in general, which I love. Like yeah. he basically talked about 1940s to 1960s cinema for like 35 total minutes. He's an encyclopedia. Yeah, literally, absolutely. A definition of a cinephile. Um, He's a film bro. He's the OG film bro. OG film bro. Yeah. Uh, he gave his first film he ever saw. Um, the first film he ever remembered seeing. Red shoes. Um, no, that was the one that inspired him the most. A place in the sun. Oh, was okay. the first one that he remembered seeing in the theater. He was born in 42. That movie came out in 51. So mm-hmm. I guess that sort of adds up because I think he said he was like eight years old. Um, Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery Clift. He talked about another cool aspect. I thought that he uh, Colbert asked if there was anybody that he wished he could have worked with. And he oh. rattled off a list of names. Oh, did he really? Yeah. yeah. There was uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, Spencer Barbara Tracy. And, yeah. and Spencer Tracy were the two like big okay. ones that he kind of went yeah. on. Bar- I was Zach and I were talking about it. He mentioned Barbara Stanwyck, and then he mentioned eight performances that he loves of hers, like within two yeah. minutes. It was insane. It was incredible. Um, and then Spencer Tracy, he said, was another one. Um, Humphrey Bogart, he talked about. Barbara Streisand was mm-hmm. the most recent one, probably. Okay. Um, but they were a bunch of people. And then he asked him about Brando. This was funny. He asked him about Brando, and he goes, 
we tried to connect on a couple of different things. He goes, it never sort of worked out. And he goes, but did you know him? And he goes, oh yeah, we were, we were good friends. He goes, he was a genius. He literally knew everything about anything. And he goes, there was like flowers in between them. And he goes, these flowers right here, like he would be able to tell you where exactly you got these from. And everyone was like, what? And then Colbert goes, was he a genius though? Or was he just a really good actor? (laughs) And then Scorsese goes, you know what? He probably was a really good actor. It was like, it was so great. It was a great interaction. Um, Do you want to talk about the raging bull? Um, No, I want, I, you, you take the reins on it. Cause I thought it was a very interesting question and response from him. Okay. Sorry. I spoiled the delivery on it, but (laughs) (laughs) But, so there he is. Colbert asked him about a specific film that, he um didn't want to make at the Mm. time of something and he said raging bull and a lot of people in the audience like almost gasped because they really like like a light gasp but like they're like really they're like wow like raging bull because everyone holds that one in high regard yeah and um but he talked about how he was just coming off new york new york and it didn't do successfully at the box office um even critically at that time and he was really suicidal at that point mm. in his career. And he said, like, I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. He took it very, very hard. And he, um, De Niro coached him through that. Like he was in a hospital bed basically. And he, and De Niro comes in and he's like, we're going to make this movie. Wow. And another reason that he didn't, or he was hesitant to make it was he wasn't a big sports guy. And, he knew a little bit about the story of Jake LaMotta, I yeah. believe, but he wasn't as sports um, centric and and eager to to do a sports movie. So that was a little bit of hesitation. But then De Niro was really encouraging him through that process. So it's insane. Like we talk about, you talked about that that relationship that they have that they come this far with uh, fifty years, ten movies now, yeah. and that type of collaboration where you have a brother and a mentor and another role model that he I'm sure looked at at that Mm -hmm. point in time. It was like, you know, he believes in me. So I'm sure if that's good enough, then I can do this. Yeah. Well, two two of the films that Scorsese's directed that he was at least, I guess, somewhat hesitant to do were both brought to him by De Niro. And it was something that De Niro produced and he wanted Scorsese to do it. That's so and, interesting. You know, like Irishman is the other one. He yeah. talks about that a little bit, but I... You, oh, he was like hesitant. Yeah, well, he's talked about in interviews too that De Niro was like obsessed with this book and he gave it to him and he was like, I really think we need to make this into something. And Scorsese is like, I didn't see it for a while. He goes, mm-hmm. I read the book and I just didn't think I could do it. I was like, I don't think I was the guy for it. I didn't see the character. And then De Niro like had said one or like a couple of things about why he thought the something within the character. And I think that's similar to Killers too. With mm-hmm. DiCaprio and how he sort of sort of saw this different dynamic within the story that he thought that they could have sort of centered on in this film. Um, so I thought that was interesting. With Raging Bull in particular, too, I've noticed so many of the films he's very passionate about, like Goodfellas, like Casino is another one, Last Temptation of Christ, Silence. Some of these he dives so deep into the story and the like how methodical he was in terms of every detail of the story like seeing it Mm -hmm. and with raging bull so much of it is technical speak like how they how the process of filming it was and he talked about the black and white in in versus the technicolor which i thought that was a cool tidbit too he didn't want to film it in color okay uh 
for a, a multitude of reasons. He said a lot of it was the red, like he didn't the signification of like the blood and the red gloves. It was too much. And he wanted to do it in black and white. And the studio was like, no, like we're not doing that. And then uh, I think it was Erwin Winkler, right? That yeah. we said it yeah, was. Yeah, they did camera tests. Yeah, yeah, they did camera tests. And he also said that that same year, uh, Lenny, which was the Lenny Bruce uh, biopic that came out and Paper Moon, both were black and white films that year that did really well mm. at the box office. And they said, all right. Used well, it. Yeah. yeah. They were like, you know what? Like it's, it's Martin Scorsese. Like if he wants to do it in black and white, like Let him, we have evidence yeah. here. And like that's very – it's a very iconic sort of aspect of the film that the whole movie is in black and white. So it's a very interesting conversation. There was a lot to it learn. It was great. Yeah. It was how really long, great. How long was it? Probably went a little over an hour. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. shorter yeah. than I thought it was. Yeah, it was It was maybe like an hour, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and they presented him with a filmmaker tribute at the end. They showed a really great reel beforehand of all his work, which oh, was really nice. cool. So was there anything else you wanted to add? I mean there, there's so much in the conversation, but – it was just really cool to to see him in person and um, just hear him directly talk about his work. And he's just one of those guys that his his films will be studied, I think, forever. And um, he he just has so much to say about something. It's also just really nice to hear a huge artist like that talk so passionately about something, and it really inspires everyone else there to like get into the craft more if they're filmmakers and just. It's so cool to hear how he had humble beginnings and then he worked at it and he learned from it and he just kept pushing ahead and he just he he stuck to the work all the way and that's what brought his best stuff out. So yeah, yeah, being able to be in the same building as him was like a bucket list thing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, like a total pinch me moment. He's definitely in my top three. He might be my favorite director ever. I'd have to like really sit and sift, but he's definitely top three for me. So mm -hmm. being able to see him. In our home state and being represented by the Montclair Film Festival, I thought it was a really great, really great event. And Colbert's been um, been doing it for a while. The last four years, though, they, they've been bringing some heavy hitters. They have, yeah. Daniel Craig was there last year. I think they said Meryl Streep a couple years before that. Mm -hmm. So they've been killing it. It was a great conversation. Go Montclair. For Go Montclair. Thank you, Montclair. For, Go Montclair uh, Film Fest. For letting us uh, sort of attend some of these events and things. Um, let's move on to the next night. Liz saw a film yes. that is highly anticipated. I know you're going to go on a rant with this because I've heard amazing yes. things and you got to see all of us strangers. I don't want to say too much about it. So obviously no spoilers. Um, I cried. I cried so hard at the end. But, you know, it was one of those films. And actually throughout all of the film festival, it was really great. And I think I mentioned this to you, uh, DJ, that seeing these films in a room packed with audience members who are ready to just like feel this movie really enhance the experience, I think. Because I think sometimes when you go into a theater and there's a ton of empty seats and there's only like five people there with you, it you don't get that feeling of like you're going on an emotional trip with other people. Yeah. And this film really... Like the girl next to me was just crying at the end too. Her dad was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it was just really nice to also hear like a room full of laughter because um, there's some really nice comedic moments in this film. Uh, it's just really beautiful. I think it's one of, it's definitely my, in my top five of the year. Um, maybe my favorite right now, but I could just be coming off of a high from it. Yeah. Um, it's a really beautiful story and it talks about grief in a really 
interesting way. Um, also, the beginning of the film, it doesn't give it away, which I like. It kind of keeps you being like, whoa, what are what are we? What's the story? Where are we going with this? And what's exactly happening? Which I like. Um, Andrew Scott. Oof. Chef's kiss Guy's performance. Guys, star. Guys, I I feel like he slept on a little bit, and finally, this I feel like is going to put him on the map for a lot more people. Um, I think sometimes he's that actor that people are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that guy." But what's his name? And I think this is really going to make his name known. Um, I think he's going to get nominated. I do. I think he would be lead. He right, would be lead. This? Okay. Yeah. Um, the other performances were strong, but he just delivered something. He he connected all the dots. Um, he made his character's intention very clear. He came hard hitting for those emotional scenes too. And really you just felt some of his pain that he's going through. Um, also the relationship between him and Paul Mescal's character. It, it's so dynamic. Uh, it It's really just gorgeous to see on screen, like this relationship come together um, and also like it's a, a queer relationship, but they don't make it a huge deal in the film. And it's not meant to come. I mean, they, they talk about it a little bit of um, like a, a male coming to terms with like him, his sexuality, but it doesn't take over the film. It's really focused in grief and how like you handle that through life. Um, it's just beautiful. I've heard it's an incredible It's great. Movie. I yeah, I loved it. Can um, I ask you about um like Paul Mescal is really starting to like blossom mm-hmm. into this big movie star. So can you just go into more about like what made him shine in this movie or is it- Yeah, I think uh I, I think he just does a really good job at being supporting characters. Mm. Like he he brings on this ch- he, specifically in this film he just has a charm to him that automatically you see his character and you're like oh i like love like i love your personality and like whatever you're doing but then he also brings dynamics of you don't know if his character is problematic at times also um which i think is really great because sometimes like you want to feel that pull of like oh no i care for this character but like are they a problem or what is going on? Like, is he going to take a turn his character? So I think he leaves the audience always a little bit in the shadow with his character, which I like. Um, yeah, he's great. I saw him first in, did you guys ever watch normal people? No, I know. Oh, I haven't got around to it yet. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Him and uh, Daisy Edgar Jones. They both blew up after it. Yes, because it was kind of like a COVID show. I had read the book and then, cause I saw that it was coming out and then I watched it. Oh my god, I fell in love with Lenny uh, Abrahamson did it, right? Or was that the other show uh, that they did? Here, I'm going to double check. I love Normal People. It's so good. Uh, I was hearing a lot of buzz about that. Yes, you were right. Yes, and, I love him yeah. as a director. Mm-hmm. It's you know what? I thought that it actually gave him a really good um platform to like start off with because it was a super root just everyday life series it wasn't kind of a heightened television show it was just about a relationship and kind of super hyper focused on how relationships in today's world can kind of blossom or not blossom and i think that gave him good footing on delivering like real performances because did you see i think you saw it after after sun 
Or no? Did I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm still behind. I, I, I want you. I know. I know. I was no, so I've never seen it. Or am I just talking to like. I'm just hearing about Gladiator and I'm hearing about. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's got credibility and I haven't seen anything. And I'm like, okay. He he's in everything now, though. So yes. he did. Yeah. So basically, oh, so I did see something. In the, I saw The Lost Daughter. But he is a smaller part in that. Yeah, super kind of small. But again, he chooses these roles that are very, um, of, like I say, very charming characters. Normal people was the first thing he did. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, what? he chooses. The, yeah, yeah it, it literally he both him and and Daisy. I'm pretty sure it was like the first thing that they both were in. Yeah, and they clung to each other because they were like we were thrown into uh, this series that blew up, and they didn't know what they were doing. But they were like, okay, if we're gonna do this, like let's do this and make it great work. And I think it's wow. it's great for anyone who's like an actor. It's a great film, like acting study. Um, but he's great in it. Uh, but really, Andrew Scott carries the film. It's it's not really broken up between the four main actors. It's it's heavily, his story. It's his story. It's yeah. heavily focused on him. I think That's the story cool. is very inventive, mm -hmm. and I think it's very it's a really original take on dealing with sort of being. I haven't seen the film, but based on what I saw in the trailer, based on like how you can have a sense of loss in your life and how to deal with that loss mm -hmm. and grief. And so I'm really excited to see not only that, but the dynamic of the relationship between him and Meskel, I've heard, is is really incredible. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that. I love Claire Foy. Mm -hmm. I, I loved the crown. Yes. Like I sort of uh I sort of fell off the crown like once she left because I was like I just loved her so much. Not that the performances uh of everyone who kind of carries on with her isn't great as well. But she was so I was like so enamored by her when I watched the crown and I loved to see her do other things. I thought she was great in first man. And um the Jack O'Connell, right, is the no, not Jack O'Connell. I'm sorry. Who's the father in it? Um, uh, Jamie, Jamie Bell. Bell, who I mm -hmm. also think is great. I think all four of them are really, really solid, solid actors. But Andrew yeah. Scott is someone that I think this is definitely going to kind of catapult him into like yeah. the stratosphere of like, like I think this is going to be like similar to an Austin Butler situation, but this isn't even less showier part. Like Austin yeah, I Butler think, I was. I think this just shows like his actual real acting skills. I think Fleabag was like the big one of people being yeah. like, ooh. Knew who he was. Who yeah. is that? Like I, I like that actor. He's and awesome in Sherlock too. Yes. Have you ever seen, I've seen him a as couple, Moriarty? Uh, I've seen a oh. little bit of it, but not a ton. But he is great in this. I also, the theme is really great because it, it doesn't just talk about like grief as like, oh, like, like grief. It talks about how, um, like without giving a lot away, it kind of sh talks a little bit about how we uh, don't appreciate the people that are here in our lives. And then we appreciate them more when they're gone or we kind of like idolize them a little bit when they're not here. Mm -hmm. uh, and they do it just in a very emotionally heightened way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Andrew Hay directs it too. And I've heard a lot of his work. I've never seen anything he's done, but uh, I know a film that came out over a little over a decade ago 45 years was one that with charlotte rampling like people talked about that film for mm -hmm. a very long time because of the emotional weight of that movie yeah. so um i'm excited to see it. it i also liked the editing i usually don't like notice editing but i thought that the way they did a lot of transitions were uh very unique i liked awesome. it it's, yeah. it, we we have to wait a long time for this one. This is not limited until is. December twenty second, and then it's going to go wide. I believe January twenty sixth, right before uh, the window sort of closes, the pre qualifying for the Academy Awards. It sounds like a very happy Christmas movie. 
Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, it has 99% right now. But yeah. I mean, it doesn't have a ton of views. So that, I mean, um, we'll see. I, I have spoken to one person that they didn't love the ending. Okay. But um, I loved it. I'll argue with anybody about it. Because okay. <laughs> I actually think it was a brilliant ending. I thought it was like beautifully tied up without giving you the full answer. And I love those endings. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll dive into that more when uh, when it comes when out. When it comes out. So in, you guys in, in months. Months. See you guys then. <laughs> but I'm very happy you enjoyed it. Um, I'm very excited to see it. I think Zach is probably very excited to see it as well. Yeah, like I'll yeah. probably see it again when it comes out. Okay, awesome. We'll I'll, have to, I'll we'll have to make cry. a date, the three of us. I'll go cry with you guys. <laughs> I love that. I'll sob. Um, <laughs> well, everyone needs to I wasn't cry. like sobbing, but then when I saw that the girl next to me was crying, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, we're doing this. This is a safe, this is a safe <laughs> this space is a safe for me space. to cry. <laughs> and it was so funny because after with the light, like it's one of those that it's the end that you're crying. So then the lights come on and like everybody's just like wiping like, their tears like, away oh, and like yeah. sniffles. And uh, the girls, I think it was her dad was, was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm just like emotional. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, uh, do you guys think that the older you get, it's like way easier to cry for things like in movies and television? Because for me, what I never mean? used to be like, so... I like feel easier like, to cry as in like you you don't care anymore. No, I think you, like things affect me more. Oh no, I I would I I've cried ever since I was younger looking at movies. Okay, because I, I think it's different movies though now. Yeah, like when like, I was younger, it was like dog movies. Well, yeah, that's yeah, and like some animated things when you're younger that you like get upset about. Yeah, I mean it was mostly like like I I would sob. Me. I mean Marley and me, oh. yes, but the first movie I remember like really getting emotionally upset about. Have you guys seen Homeward Bound? Oh yeah, oh, the animated yeah. Movie? The animated no, movie. it's animated. not animated. It's live action with like oh oh over. oh yes 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 where the dogs are like in the mud and stuff. Yes, yes yes. And the oh. dog comes over the mountain. Oh, I've I'll never start seen crying this. Right doesn't he now. get Michael J. Fox? He gets uh, wow. like a porcupine on him. Yes, at some point. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> yeah. guys, guys. Which I was like, Good dang man. Like man. The first moment that I just remember like crying, what like being really memory, yeah. upset um, mm. about a film, but then like. I remember it not like affecting me in like a negative way. It was like a happy ending. So then I was like, oh, it's good to cry watching films. And yeah. ever since <laughs> I've been like, I want a good cry. I was hysterical at Castaway. When, uh, oh, when Wilson? Wilson? My mom, yeah. my mom, my, my mom I, mm -hmm. like had to like hold me for like three hours after the movie. I was like, it was his only friend. That's a bad. good one. That was rough. All right, Zach, give us one. one. Give us one from you. When I cried. Um, <laughs> well... Okay, I'm gonna tell a good. I'm gonna tell a funny story. Not about me. It's about my uncle. And okay. He goes. He goes. Yeah, I was watching Titanic, and it really made me cry. And he's like, and then his wife, or like my my aunt was was like, shut off the movie, and she just hears him like crying. Oh my god. And then he's like, he wasn't like, so she goes. She goes. Are you okay? And he goes. Yeah. I just. I don't understand why she would throw the diamond in the ocean. <laughs> And he was like joking all the whole time. My God, he was emotionally was so affected by yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but yeah I love the, a good cry. The, the older the older I get, I definitely think there are certain things that strike a chord more with me. Um, so yeah. I think that um, I've heard this is a very emotional film. So yeah, I'm excited to get a good cry out of it. I'm just like numb. To I mean, the pain I don't want to hype it up movies. too much though. Where like now you guys like 
You have to I'm not going to think about crying. Okay, okay, good. Well, okay, you hyped it up when you said this was your favorite of the year, which is like, whoa. I think that... it is right now. Yes. Because... Although I haven't seen Priscilla well, yet, though, right, so and I think Priscilla is going to be This is what I do, do want to ask you, and this is not the whole film, because I know so much of it is also based in uh, like the family dynamic of Andrew Scott's character and his parents. But um, relationship-wise, mm-hmm. better uh, – like – romance sort of aspect is it this film or would you say past lives because past lives to me was another one that like i didn't cry but i got very emotional towards the end of the film very different okay yeah i don't think you i don't think they're on the same playing field okay but you like this film more than past lives um maybe right now because i think it's fresher Past lives, though, man, that's stuck with that's me. That's a movie, right? That's there. that's like that is beautiful. Yeah, from opening to ending. Um, you know what I think it is? I think past lives was a little bit easier to like digest. Yeah. This one, it makes you think a little bit more. Okay. In the beginning, especially, you kind of have to pay attention. Okay. While past lives, it's more of just going on that ride yeah it's a hell of a ride <laughs> yeah it really is all right so so that's why that's why it's week so most so far <clears throat> with all of us strangers holdovers four daughters dream scenario we're having a good festival we so are. far especially for indies yeah, yeah big for indies mm-hmm. and we're gonna wrap it up right now because zach yesterday mm-hmm. on the day we're recording this got to see the closing night film which was eileen and a lot of it uh, actually filmed right here in our state of New Jersey. So, Zach, why don't you give us a little bit of a gist of uh, how you enjoyed Eileen? <clears throat> All right. I'm going to unpack Eileen. Um, yeah. So it was a 1960s period piece with Anne Hathaway um, and Thomas and McKenzie. <coughs> Thomas and McKenzie. And she's also in, um, if you guys don't know, she's in Jojo Rabbit. She's in mm-hmm. Last Night in Soho. Um, Anne Hathaway is like, if you don't know Anne Hathaway by now, something's up. And uh, you don't I know mean, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, like she's my queen for that. You know, <laughs> like I will go. I I put this in my review. Um, that was very rocky, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> it was uh, Anne Hathaway is just like I will show up for her at any movie, mm-hmm. and she brings something to roles in everything she does. She can play rom coms. She can play sci-fi and interstellar she can go into thrillers like in period pieces like this Mm -hmm. and um she plays the counselor that is new to this juvenile detention facility okay thomas and mckenzie has worked in this facility she it's more focused around um her character eileen so she's actually eileen and hathaway is rebecca she's the counselor so eileen is living a very miserable life. She's living in a mundane, underappreciated, um, toxic environment around her father. Her father is abusive, not physically, but just completely degrades her, puts her down. Um, her her mother passes away. They gave her, and that's just a past point. It's not I was like, gonna say, like I was she's like, not. Wow, Zach, just she's not in. It. No, that's that's an off screen. That's an off screen thing. So she's not there in the beginning, and um, so it's a very abusive relationship with her father. And um, then she's working at this prison facility, and she's uh, in just this domineering male uh environment especially Mm -hmm. in the 60s they they kind of don't treat her 
and Anne Hathaway with the same respect. Anne Hathaway comes in <clears throat> and she's pretty accomplished. They're like reading her resume and, and they're still kind of just looking at her as if she's just another woman in this facility. <clears throat> um, and through her working there, they find out a series of secrets and there is a big uh, twist later on in the film and um that's all i can say because i don't want to get into too much can i ask yeah were you happy about the twist or not happy about the twist i was happy about the twist okay i was uh i really thought that the twist was executed pretty well i liked what the producer also had to say about it he said it was hitchcockian where it was like I was trying to think about what he meant by that in retrospect to what Hitchcock's work is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot of Hitchcock's work. What I was trying to like find the common denominator is like you take ordinary people and then another character comes in and disrupts that lifestyle Mm -hmm. or a situation disrupts that lifestyle. And that person that disrupts it is like can be crazy or the situation is crazy and they just come in and undermine your your mm-hmm. lifestyle so i i see that with um eileen i see that they're like Anne hathaway comes in full of life trying to bring something to um uh, uh thompson mckenzie and and then she goes and, and talks with her and discovers things about her and then a couple events happen and it snowballs okay so I think it was Hitchcockian for that reason. Um, I thought the climax was pretty great. And I thought <clears throat> that the ending was not. I didn't think it was very strong necessarily. Mm. So I'm interested to hear what other people have to say about it. Okay. But, Interesting. So yeah. you didn't think they wrapped up the story in the best way possible? Yeah, I thought that they wrapped it up too quickly, I think. I think it made sense for what they were trying to do. But it was a very short runtime. Yes. Thriller. Yeah. And I was looking at that too. And I thought along with some other people who have seen it early, they, they said that, you know, 20 more minutes or 30 more minutes of a, of a conclusion would have helped for sure. I think that there were a couple steps missing. Um, I go into detail with that in the review. Yeah. That's a spoiler part of the review. But um, I, I think I'm, I was also trying to build like I would have, included these elements because it's a thriller for these reasons and we kind of want to see more of a wrapped up conclusion i guess mm-hmm. so interesting yeah. i'm excited to see this film I've, I've heard this has been on the festival circuit for a bit um <clears throat> i agree with zach in terms of like i really get excited to see new things that Anne hathaway does mm-hmm. i think she's a very different sort of actress in the stratosphere of like I would consider her A-list. Like, I think she's well-known enough now. She's an Oscar winner. She's been in big budget things. She's been in Disney projects. She's been in everything. So um, I also think Thomas and Mackenzie is is a very talented actress. And I'm very interested to see. How did, what did you think about her, her performance in the film? See, I didn't like her as much uh, going into this movie, Mm -hmm. but I thought she was really starting to break through a little bit more with this role. Cause I, I felt like, especially in Jojo Rabbit, and even in Last Night in Soho, she plays like a very quirky teen where she's like socially awkward. And um, I can read a lot of that same expression on her face most of the time 
in, in just those two movies because that's I think all I've seen from her mm-hmm. but it felt like that was surface level like that was pretty much it there's, there's a great climax in last night in Soho that gets pretty crazy um, so she was good in that part too but I felt like this movie she definitely has more complexity more depth to it she has a pretty great Boston accent too mm, okay. um, which is really good I wonder and if then, she's from Boston yeah um no she's from new zealand but mm-hmm. the, i also want to point out i don't think i said it but this is set in coastal massachusetts but they shot it in new jersey most of it Interesting. and i think all of it so they uh they they did a great job recreating that that feel for sure too it's got a pretty good ensemble too shay wig shay wiggum is pretty much good in everything he does sam nivola uh alessandro nivola's son is in it um owen teague i know we had mentioned off screen jefferson white for my yellowstone fans oh my god yeah i just he's in it do you watch yellowstone yeah i just i just binged it oh okay he's i love him in yellowstone Mm -hmm. uh it's cool to see him in something different i haven't uh i haven't seen him in much else he plays buck warren i don't know if you remember him maybe he's an inmate uh yeah i think he's a younger guy yeah yeah Mm -hmm. bald Um, bald i will say that i think it's marin ireland marin Marin Island. See, she's not on the list on IMDb, but I think she's, she is in the film. She's a huge part of the film. And she was Oh, I got her down phenomenal. here. Phenomenal. She's great. Have you seen yeah. Sneaky Pete? I have not. Oh, no. But I, she was great in The show. Irishman. She's great in Revolutionary Road. And and then the other one is... I think she's an I Am Legend. I think she's yeah, one Sneaky of Sneaky Pete was a show yeah. on... Uh, a con man show on Amazon Prime that uh, Giovanni Ribisi and Brian Cranston were in. And she's one of the leads in it. It's a really good okay. show. Yeah. She's really good in it. She's yeah, phenomenal she, in she's this movie. She's a great actress. Yeah. She's great. So the the their climax is very heavy with her. Okay. So she was honestly, I thought she stole every scene that she was in, and she's mm. not in awesome. a hefty amount. So but she was great in every single thing. Nice. So a female fronted thriller filmed in New Jersey. Yeah. What do we, so yeah. we, what do we gotta love it? And that comes out December eighth wide. That's soon. So that's going to be, uh, again, right around this hefty award season upcoming, guys. There's a lot. A lot There's so much coming out. That we're going to be talking about. There's a lot more stuff coming that we're going to be covering. Uh, Zach, anything else you wanted to cover with that? or? Um, well, just, just that it was the closing night film, and Montclair really wrapped it up on a good note. And the, uh, the Q&As that they've been organizing have been great and um it was nice to see the producer there mm-hmm. he said he was from bergen county so that was oh, cool that cool. he was like, nice. making movies in jersey he, he said he usually made them in new york and it was nice that he got to make something in jersey did they say where um, in jersey like i know you said it was but like what town uh, i think like near long branch somewhere oh, cool. near oh, there wow okay. there's, a, there's some coastal areas um north of where we are but yeah. but see. yeah Not coastal and I, I think... Um, Metuchen. Nice. There you oh, go. Oh, and in South Amboy. Wow. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shout out Liz. Shout out Liz. What can I say? <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, they did a great, they did a great job with it. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it's just a good, it's a good movie that you should catch if you're into thrillers and stuff like that. So again, Anne Hathaway, can't, yeah. can't thank her enough for her roles. Well, guys, <laughs> we have gotten through our first ever Montclair Film Festival coverage. The dates already came out for next year. Hopefully, 
we'll be back covering more stuff at that point. We really appreciate all that Montclair film has done for us being uh, also Montclair state university alumni. It was cool to sort of be back in the area and getting to see some great industry movies ahead of time and being able to share some of those experiences with you guys, the audience. We hope that you guys see all these films. They're important movies. Wanted to preface by it's great that we get to cover some of these big film franchises like Marvel and we get to do reality TV sometimes for fun and, these movies are some though that can impact all of us to a degree. I mean, we've talked about it throughout our last installment of this, where we talked week one holdovers had a really big effect on me. All of us strangers clearly had a big effect on Liz as well. And uh, the conversation that Zach and I went to was very eye opening with Martin Scorsese. So there was there was a lot that we got to cover throughout this period. I think uh, I don't want to speak for all of us. We'll get everyone's sort of closing thoughts, but I thought overall it was a really great thing that I was really proud to be part of. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked just how they set up everything. The venues were great. Montclair is like a small town with a lot of big films coming into it. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that presence that it has. And to see packed theaters for a lot of these indie things yep. come out, like that was really cool. And then um, just all different age ranges of people. They, the venues were great. I've, I've lived, well, I haven't lived, but we went to school in Montclair. This is the first time that I've actually been plugged into the festival. I always knew it was there, but I mean, they do a great job and they keep, it seems like getting bigger every year. So I, I love that what they do with that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, like I said before, it was just really nice to be in a theater watching a film with a bunch of other people who are just excited to see it. And like no empty seats in a lot of these screenings um, and just the amount of laughs like sometimes I couldn't hear the next line because people were laughing so loud, which is just really it's a great experience. Um, also, again, shout out to the Claridge. Beautiful, like redoing of the whole place. So if you're around, you should go check out a film there. It's really um, just a great space. It's not like a huge AMC theater, but it's a great small uh, theater that you should go support. Yeah, they have a real, really great and true commitment to um, building out this arts community and the cinema community in Montclair, New Jersey. So we're very blessed to have that within an hour's drive of us. So um, all in all, like I said, I thought it was a really great experience and we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. If you guys haven't already, please throw a like on this video. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel. Leave your comments if you guys were also with the festival and you guys got to see some of these. If some of them are on your most anticipated list, which ones are you excited about and why? Uh, we'll be talking, like I said, a lot more about these in the coming weeks and months as we lead up to the Academy Awards and we just have pretty much normal conversation on the channel. Be sure to follow us at Cinema Wave Media on Instagram as well as on TikTok. Uh, you could also follow us at underscore Culture Wave Media on Instagram as well. Just signing off, I am Darian Scalamoni. I am Liz Seiko. And I'm Zach Miller. And we'll see you guys next time.